Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. We're studying our way through the wonderful book of 1 Corinthians. We are called to be saints. We are called to be saints, and we see that that's really the theme of a book written to a church that's fairly fractious and carnal and divided, has a lot to learn. And we've been working our way through the divisions that Paul settles in the church, and uh, it's, a, it's a great book for all of us, whatever stage of life we are as Christians, reminding us that we are called to be set apart unto His service and glory. Let's begin the word of prayer. Father, thank you for challenging our hearts already in Sunday school, and now in church we pray that you would meet with us. Holy Spirit, take your word. These are your words from your heart and apply them to ours in our day. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul and his servant-mindedness. I pray that that would be true of us, that we would reach out to others with a heart of humility, compassion, and service. And Lord, today I'm asking that you draw us closer to you. I don't know if everyone in this room is come to put their trust and faith in the finished work of Christ, Him alone. But if there's one that has not, Lord, would this be the day of victory for them, salvation and a new relationship with You. We commit our time to You. Lord, we'd like You to be honored today. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul begins with a question. In fact, you will find 20 questions peppered, out, peppered throughout these 27 verses. As a teacher, he reminds us, now these are mostly rhetorical, he's writing this, of course, to the Corinthians in answer to uh, some uh, questions that came to him. But he is, uh, in, this, in this chapter alone, writing 20 questions for us to consider. We will not look at the, all of them, but we will certainly take the principles behind them. Some of you know this, uh, that uh, for a few years, about six and a half years, I was involved in the construction trade. For six years, I was really between churches, a preacher, teacher, drywall finisher. I helped out serving in two or three churches during that time, filling in on the weekends. But during the day, Monday morning, I put my hard hat on and I'd go to work in the drywall trade. In fact, I went through the training for that. It was a four-year training. I didn't know you needed to train for four years to put mud on the wall, but apparently they thought I did. And so uh, they put me in the commercial construction trade in Indianapolis. I called myself after a while the pastor plasterer. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, the folks I worked with appreciated the fact sometimes that there was a, a pastor on the job site, the, the work site. And I developed during those years a real new appreciation for the working man. Not that folks with white collars and go to offices in the morning don't work hard. They do. But these guys had calloused hands, and, and sometimes I, as a preacher coming out of college and seminary, you know, I thought everybody ought to just come to church wide awake, pay attention to every word. And then I went to work where every day I would get on some stilts and walk around, and I'd sand drywall, I'd put mud on the wall, and eight hours sometimes more than that a day, and come home. And I could remember some Wednesday nights as I'd try to clean up in a hurry after 
a day in the drywall world and there'd still be, I could tell, well, look at, there'd still be white dust in the corner of my eyes after I washed my face. I'd go to church and promptly go to sleep. So I, my heart goes out to you. I, I know that some of you come to church for a good rest, but uh, I know that you work hard and I have a greater compassion for those that just really labor uh, physically during the week. Saturdays, I would hit the books and prepare for a Sunday sermon or a Sunday school lesson or two, and that went on for six years. It, God really taught me to love the tradesmen. In fact, while I was there in that trade, I would often ask the Lord as I would go to, go to my job, sometimes commuting up to an hour and 30 minutes one way from where I live to job sites in the Indianapolis area. I'd say, Lord, help me to find someone who needs to hear something about you today. It was amazing. As I sat down at lunch on little drywall buckets surrounded by these men, most of whom could care less about church, they were calloused, as I mentioned, kind of rough, oil-splattered, craftsmen, tile setters, tin knockers, glaziers, plumbers, electricians, painters, laborers, pipe setters. Then the leathery old carpenters that raised up steel studs on a day when the wind was blowing about 15 and 20 miles an hour in January in Indianapolis. And they would be on these tall lifts, cutting little holes at the ends of their gloves so that their fingers could feel the screws enough through numb fingers to put the studs together on tops of tall buildings. As I sat down with them, I realized that I could not just start preaching to them. They could care less about my messages until they looked at my life for a while. And I did not uh, get a hearing from them because of some office that I occupied, but I had to earn my way into the hearts of these men who would never come to church, never listen to a preacher, but they did listen to me after a while, after they observed my life. And I would sit down with them and sometimes I'd enter into the very depths of their difficulties in life as a listener, as a pastor, plasterer. It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Maybe you have. If you've been in construction, you have. Somebody an old leathery carpenter who sits down, maybe a drywall finisher, and starts bearing their hearts, and they start to cry. And I don't know, most of us in the drywall trade, if it's sanding day, our whole face is covered. We look like Casper the ghost. And I've seen it more than once. These old guys spill their heart. And... Tears will start to come down and streak through those dry, dry cheeks, leaving marks all the way down. And I realized before they would ever listen to a message, they had to see Christ in me. And what a blessing it is. I remember a painter who had been addicted to marijuana. He and I were doing some overtime worked together, and he would ask me about Jesus and about the fact that maybe there's hope in Christ, and I told him there certainly is. He would dip his roller into the five-gallon paint bucket, same one I was using. We'd go to separate ends of the wall, painting away, and sooner, every time we'd come back to the bucket, he'd ask me another question about 
hope in Christ and maybe there's a God that could help him and we got closer as we painted from the edge out to the middle. And when we got to the middle, I remember him asking me a question. He said, do you think God is big enough, strong enough, powerful enough to save a guy like me who's addicted to drugs and alcohol? And I looked at him and I said, I know he is. And he invites you now to come into his family, enjoy the power of God that is greater than sin and death and hell. Why don't you just trust Christ as your Savior right now? We were about the only two left on the job site, but he looked at me and he said, you mean we could do that here? (laughs) Not in church? I said, yes, God will save you anywhere. Amen? So he knelt down with his roller in his hand and I knelt down with my roller in my hand and together we prayed and he received Christ as his Savior. These are precious things and they didn't come because I went to seminary. They came because I went to the world of the working man or the construction world. Today we've got to understand something about the Apostle Paul. Was Paul an apostle? Was he a tent maker? Or was he slave, a slave? And, and really, you could say of Paul, yes, yes, and yes. He was all those things in his life and his preferred title as we will see today, was not so much the officious title, the official title of apostle, although he would defend that. He was most happy when people called him servant, a servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's begin reading in chapter 9. And by way of reminder, I would say that chapter 8 was Paul's response to questions about whether or not it was okay to eat idol meat or meat offered to idols. Remember that? Uh, Paul said this, most of us in chapter 8 know, in the church anyway, if if we've been matured a little bit, that idol meat, meat offered to idols, can't hurt you. In fact, it's some of the best meat offered in the market. It's not what you put on your plate that uh, improves or diminishes your walk with God. So let the law of love direct or inform all your freedoms in Christ. But he understood this in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, just setting the table for chapter 9. He understood that some had very sensitive consciences about meat offered to idols because they had been in that world. They had been really in that world of idolatry. And so he said, I, he ends chapter 8 by saying it's wrong to sin against someone who has this sensitive conscience about idol meat. He actually says this and as long as the world stands he, as he ends chapter 8. I'm not even going to touch that meat, even though I have complete freedom and license to enjoy it. As long as it causes someone to stumble, I'm going to stay away from it. Limit your freedoms because of love. All right, that was all chapter 8. And the question comes, can someone be all right? Uh, can someone who, who, who thinks a, an issue is wrong and another person who thinks the issue is not a big deal Can those two people get along in church? And Paul says they ought to get along if those who are stronger can limit their freedoms to love those that are weaker. All right, that was all by way of introduction. Last week we looked at that. And today we want to dive into what Paul, first of all, Paul defends his uh, title as uh, 
an apostle. Souls do matter. Never let your station in life become more important than your service to others. But right out of the gate, Paul begins to defend that first title, that first hat that he wore. And he answers some questions that came to him in that time. He says, verse 1, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? What does it take to be an apostle? Well, you ought to be an eyewitness of Christ. There were many in the church that were saying, Paul's not really, it's been five years, remember, since he's left. Paul really isn't like the other disciples. He didn't live with the Lord. He didn't see Christ. What right does Paul have to tell us what to do, to inform or instruct us? Paul goes on to say, aren't you my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, perhaps, yet doubtless I am to you, for the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. So first we notice Paul defending his calling as an apostle. People are talking and Paul's ears are burning. He can feel it, even though he's all the way over at Ephesus when he's writing this letter five years later. You know that whether you say it to a person's face or behind their back, you know, these comments, critical comments can, can hurt. Sarcastic comments can hurt. And Paul feels the sting or the weight of those in the church, even though he's not there, this church that he planted and started with the help of the Lord. He feels this, this criticism, and so he begins to answer that question. There's some saying that the apostle who planted the church in Corinth, must not be a real apostle. He didn't live with Christ as Peter did, the other disciples. He didn't really participate in the wonderful works or miracles. So do we really need to listen to this man at all? So Paul reminds them of the marks and the reality of his commission and calling as an apostle. Yes, he squares his shoulders a bit. You can tell that. He is called. Though most of us today would choose to follow Christ, Paul, like other apostles, Jeremiah, Jonah, John the Baptist, they were chosen from the womb for this commission. And Paul wasn't just one who stopped and decided to follow Christ. I have decided to follow. No. What happened to Paul? Remember the story on the road to Damascus? Paul was really arrested by the Spirit of God, knocked off his horse, the bright light. He fell on the ground. And the Lord Jesus Christ commissioned, flattened him. An abrupt call of God on the road to Damascus. And so verse 1, he says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? What? Let me remind you, he says, a little bit of my credentials. He says, I've seen the Lord. Acts 26, he's telling his testimony to King Agrippa. He said, there was a flash of light as bright as the sun. We fell to the ground. I heard the voice speaking in Hebrew. By the way, you better learn Hebrew. You're going to speak it in heaven. He said, I heard the Lord speaking in my tongue. I am Jesus. I've appeared to thee to make thee a minister, a witness of the things you have seen and heard and of the things in, of the which I will appear to thee. Later, Paul was instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Where? In the deserts of Arabia. He spent three years as, and Christ was his personal trainer, his personal instructor. In fact, Paul, there are very few in the Bible that can say this, Paul was elevated 
to the third heaven. Now, that's the heaven of heavens. That's where Christ abides, the right hand of the Father. Not many of us have gotten a tour of heaven before we die and go there, right? But Paul got the tour. I know there's some books written by some quacks that believe they've been to heaven and back, but Paul actually did. And he says, he says there's things so wondrous there that I can't even, I don't have the words to explain it. So Paul's claim to apostleship includes not only the fact that he saw the Lord, was trained of the Lord, was given an excursion to heaven, but that he himself was one who worked signs and wonders. Paul did that. We know that from especially his first and third missionary journey. Acts 19, we see the, the raising, or, or we see that this journey of Paul was blessed by Paul's apostolic power. If you were, and I don't believe there are apostles today, that office has been closed, the word is completed. There are people that call themselves apostles, but they need to be eyewitnesses of Christ, endued with special power, miracles. Before the Bible was written, just by way of information, before the Bible was written, people would come to town claim to have the Word of God. The real test or validation, not only did you see Christ, were you trained of Him, but let's see what kind of power you have. That was the validation. You couldn't just set up a tent, so to speak, and start preaching. There had to be an evidences of divine power. Remember some of the miracles that Paul did? Think with me. What did Paul do? Uh, Did he do any miracles? What about that man who fell out the window when he was preaching? And Paul raised Eutychus from the dead, the casting off of a deadly serpent into the fire at Melita with no harm to himself. In fact, Paul was so known for his great miracle powers that people would come to him to touch him and and take a handkerchief from him to rub it over their wounds or their uh, infirmities to find power in those things. But Paul had great power, miracle power. Paul, in this book and in 2 Corinthians, actually moves away from the fact, well, I'm I'm, bless God, I'm an apostle because I saw the Lord. He does say that or reference that. I I did great miracles. I've been... The pen through which, or the quill through which God is writing half of the New Testament, he could have claimed a lot of things. What does he do in chapter uh, 9 and verse 2? What is his, this is his favorite go-to when he talks about his apostleship. What does he say? If I be not an apostle unto you others, yet doubtless I am to you for the seal, the validity, the stamp of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Paul came to town with the help of, uh, of course, Aquila and Priscilla and others, the house of Stephanus and uh, Timothy and others that helped him establish this ministry. God, from this sordid soil, this immoral culture, God transformed the lives of folks, and they are exhibit number one that Paul is an apostle. God used him to plant a church. And so he reminds them of that, uh, even though you are a bit still divided, immature, carnal, litigious, selfish, divided, but you're saved, you're growing, transformed. So Paul starts this chapter off by saying, listen, yes, what I say bears great weight. I am an apostle and you're the proof of it. 
What a blessing. Paul rests his case that indeed God is working through him and his ministry and his life, and as a result, there's a church that's been started. So he defends that. Then, secondly, you see Paul explains his choice to make tents. Paul explains his choice to make tents. I'm kind of sad that he didn't do drywall. I'd had a better connection with him, but I doubt there was any in that day. Uh, Praise the Lord. But Paul decided to be a vocational ministry. Let's read some of these verses to, uh, to answer these questions that Paul peppers throughout this chapter, beginning in verse Three, my answer to them that do examine me, question my authority, is this. Have we not the... He's going to mention the Greek word exousia, freedom, right, power, many times. He's going to ask some questions to these who question him. Have we not power to eat and drink without, of course, uh, working on our own? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and the brethren of the Lord, and Cephas, or Peter, or I only, and Barnabas? Apparently these two men uh, were rather rare examples of this. Have we not the power to forbear working? Who goeth to war at any time at his own charge? Who planteth a vineyard, and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock, and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, for... Saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth the corn. Doth God care for the oxen? Sure, He does for the oxen and the sparrow. Or saith He it altogether for our sake? For our sakes, no doubt this is written. I love what Luther says about that. You know, oxen can't read, so apparently... Uh, the laws about oxen were not written for the ox, right? They're for our knowledge. He says it for our sakes. He that plows should plow in hope. He that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of this hope. Verse 11, if we've sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal thing or wages for ministry? Verse 12, if others be partakers of this power right over you, are we not rather... As your church planting missionaries? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about the holy things live of the things of the temple? Speaking of the priesthood. And they which wait on the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have not used these things. I have used none of these things. I have not demanded it of you. Neither have I written these things that it should be so done to me. For it were better for me to die than a man should make my glorying void. Here we will find lots of question marks as Paul asked the people some questions. And uh, I often think about this as I read this chapter, you know, have you ever been uh, grilled, interrogated by your parents, maybe when you were younger, where they ask you question after question after question and don't allow you to answer? Has that ever happened? Who told you you could use the car? Who told you that you're old enough to drive? 
Who told you that you're old enough to drive in the rain? You've never driven in the rain. Never stopping to take a breath or letting you ask or answer the question. Young man, who told you that just because you can grow a mustache, you can date my daughter? Whoever told you that? What are you thinking? 20 questions. But the line of the questions is about the rights or freedoms or powers that he decides, listen carefully, not to use. We have all these rights, don't we? But I've decided not to use. Notice in your Bible the list of powers deferred. Verse 4, we've deferred the right to eat and drink at the expense of the church. Verse 5, at least Barnabas and I have refused the right to be married. We do know that Paul, being a part of the Sanhedrin, at one time was married. We're not sure what happened to his wife, whether she passed away or left him. But at this point, he's single has decided not to remarry. But we have a right to, by the way, to our Catholic friends, this passage is hard for you, isn't it? doesn't mean they're married to the church. Uh, the brothers of, the, of Christ, in our text today, the brothers of Christ, uh, that's the actual brothers of the Lord Jesus, got married as the other apostles. They got married. It's not wrong to be married and be in the ministry. And then he goes to this list of people that uh, get pay for their work. The soldiers get paid for soldiering. Farmers get paid for farming. Vine dressers, arborists get paid from the labors of their hands, from the fruit of the crop. Shepherds eat lamb chops. Why, even oxen eat grain. And God wrote this in principle, the Mosaic Code, for us to understand it's okay. I can't believe I'm preaching this. It's okay to pay your preacher for the work that he does. Paul makes that very clear. If God takes care of animals like oxen, certainly he designs the pastor to be cared for by the flock. These oxen laws were written for the benefit of shepherds. Verse 11, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, or at least under shepherds of the great shepherd, it is, a, is it a great thing that we shall reap your carnal things, the things that come from your hand that sustain ministry. And I want to just stop here and say thank you for your kind care for the ministers here. We appreciate and love you for it. Thank you. It is a difficult challenge. I've been in both worlds where I spent the short time I have on weekends preparing for ministry on Sunday. And sometimes even Sunday afternoons becomes a preparing time for Sunday night when you're working full-time Monday through Friday. What a blessing it is to spend more time, dedicate more time to understanding the Word and ministering to the needs of the flock. I love you for it. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Um, there are many that don't, do not have that privilege. But note, notice verse 12, the last part of the verse. But we have not, nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. We've declined this power, this liberty, this right, this reasonable recompense. We've declined it. Why? Well, it's about Christian liberty. And Paul's saying, uh, we know that it's proper to be paid, but uh, what we want to do is let you know we have deferred, in this case, not uh, to take money for ministry. Paul arrives in Corinth. Remember the time he did that? He teams up with Aquila Priscilla daily in the market. 
Uh, and why does, he, why does he link up with Aquila and Priscilla? Remember the story? He goes to Corinth. He's starting a church there. Goes to the Agora, the open market. He's, 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 he's helping, Acts chapter 18 tells us, he's helping Aquila and Priscilla because by trade they were tent makers. Uh, and in those days, ancient tents were made by sewing animal skins together in a skillful way. And I think Paul's intentional about that. A tent, there were many solid homes in those days, built of stone, brick and mortar. Uh, but Paul decided he would be a tent maker. I think he does that on purpose because as he's making tents and, and selling tents to folks who are more nomadic, especially right there between in that, that little portion of land called Corinth, it is a connector between Achaia, or excuse me, in Achaia, between Sparta and Athens. There's this continual flow of people moving. Uh, tents are for those that are in transition, nomadic perhaps, not city dwellers. And Paul is selling this and telling them the gospel as they go, realizing that that has great benefit. And so I was thinking about this and Joe and Hallie perhaps. They had a meeting uh, canceled because of COVID, but they're here today. And, and I thought, well, instead of paying them, why don't we just give them a, a needle and thread? All in favor, save us some money. No, that's not the point of this. There is a great joy in using the skills or vocation of your hands or whatever, your skill set to reach others for Christ. Paul decided to be a vocational mission. That's where we get the idea of tent-making missionaries. That's often the thought that instead of going to a country with a support from many churches, you go there kind of on your own and take a trade with you and uh, do that in order to gain entrance into certain countries where you can't even go as a missionary or find an entrance into an area where missionaries, of course, are not allowed. We have missionaries, I won't mention their names, in Morocco, for their own privacy's sake, that are, in a sense, tent makers. They have a different trade that allows them in the country. Paul, for the sake of the gospel, for the efficacy and for the efficiency and for the spread and advance, the pioneer growth of the gospel says, no, I'm going to withhold receiving money and I'm going to go this on my own with my skill set as a tent maker in order that the gospel be not blamed. All Jewish boys had to know a trade. And I do wish more Bible colleges would offer uh, this, this type of vocational training. The people in Brazil we visited many times on missions trips, missionaries would cry out as we left the dock, we'll trade a boatload of teachers for one good mechanic. <laughs> I remember that, and I never have forgotten that. Send us missionaries, certainly. Send us preachers, amen. But if you would just have one good mechanic, we'll take them too. Paul said we could get paid, others do. Apparently Peter, Paulus did. And Paul did receive some gifts from Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea. He didn't turn money down, certainly, but nothing came from Corinth. In fact, it was characteristic of Paul's ministry not to ask for money. Verse 15, but I've used none of these things. I've not campaigned for my own salary. And he, he didn't in Thessalonica or other places either. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing without pay. 
In Acts, I love this verse in Acts chapter 18 and verse 37. It was said of Paul in Ephesus, These men are not robbers of the church. Amen. Turn on TV and go to the religious channels. How many robbers of the churches do you see? It's all about, if you send me $1,000, I'll send you a prayer cloth. If you plant a $1,000 seed in my ministry, I promise you God will double it in time. in Your bank account. These are robbers of the churches. Be careful who you're sending your money to. And Paul was careful. Why? Verses 15 and 16 tell us. Verse 16, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. In other words, I don't want to make the gospel of grace a means of greed. I would rather die, verse 15, I would rather die than be accused of turning the gospel into a, into a conduit for my own glory, my own riches, my own profit. In other words, he's saying I want to glory in the gospel, not because of it. And so, verse 12, I defer my payment so that the gospel be not hindered. You ask most people, whether it be in construction or any other trade, just ask anybody who's not associated with the church what they think of TV preachers. What will they tell you? All they want is my money. That's the perception people have of churches and pastors. And Paul said, I would rather not take, in fact, I'd rather die than have that perception advanced because of the way I minister. Now we come, thirdly, to the famous or the most favorite title of Paul. Paul expands his ministry by servanthood. I, I can't wait to meet Paul in heaven. Now, in heaven, he may have, you know, five stars on his shoulder. I don't know. Or he may be a five-star general of the gospel in heaven. He may stand out with glowing, I don't know, a special place. No doubt he's earned that, but he doesn't come across that way in Scripture. And his favorite title we see in verses 16 through 19. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. That's how most people step into ministry. But if against my will, a dispensation, a stewardship of the gospel is committed unto me, what then is my reward? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. I set aside my right to be paid so that there would be this freedom in the minds of others to receive the gospel willingly. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself what? Verse 19. I have made myself, I have lowered myself, I have made myself a servant unto all, that I may gain the more. Verse 17 is often hard to understand, especially in some of the older Language, it's the word dispensation. What does Paul mean by verse 15? For if I do this thing willingly, 
What does he mean by the dispensation of the gospel is committed to me? He says, if we choose to respond willingly to God's promptings to preach, we're rewarded. But he is saying, I did not choose this calling in verse 17. I was drafted. I was knocked off my horse. The bright light hit me. The blindness came. I received the commission in Acts 26. The Lord said, I've appeared to make you a minister. (laughs) You don't have a choice, Paul. I'm drafting you into ministry. You don't have a choice between 50 majors at college. You're called to preach the preaching of the gospel. By the Lord was to to deliver men from the power of Satan unto God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among the sanctified. That was Paul's or stewardship, his stewardship of the gospel. Paul, you're on your way to kill Christians. I'm going to redirect and repurpose your life. Hits the ground, the bright light, God's voice. I'm going to call you into ministry. Wow. Didn't see that coming. And here's your calling. And all you preacher boys, please note this. This is your stewardship, your responsibility, your pressing and urgent necessity is the gospel is being committed unto you to preach forgiveness from sin and deliverance by Christ. This is your new commission God has given the stewardship of the glory of His name to Paul and to you and to me. So Paul has been given this stewardship. He says, some people willingly step into this, but I was, that's what verse 17 means, I was given this dispensation, this oikonomia, this uh, stewardship, It's by pressing an urgent necessity. By the way, when we preach the gospel, if we're called to it, it's not one of these things that we can take lightly or just as an option. Do you know Jeremiah said, I've decided not to preach. I got so tired of the response of the people. He said, I decided to give it up. And what did the Lord say to Jeremiah? Or Jeremiah's response, but thy word was in me like a burning fire. And so it is that if your mother called you to preach, it won't last long. If your daddy prompted you to preach, it will not necessarily persevere. But if God calls you to preach, He touches your heart with the fire of the urgency and necessity, the compulsion of the gospel, so that all of your life You wake up with this burden to disclose to others the truth, the principles that would direct them to Christ. So believe it or not, when I'm walking on a beach in Pensacola, I feel like there's a choir behind me. When I'm having some time to myself, perhaps on a Saturday, there is this still small voice, God's called you. To preach the gospel. What a joy it is. And I knew this. I knew this. As an art major, I was so thrilled with what I was studying. It was the, I had the most fun in college the first two years until God knocked me off my saddle, so to speak. Called me into the ministry. I fought him a little bit. 
I was enjoying art classes, but God, I can remember that burning compulsion. God says, I would like you to be a voice for me. I want you to dedicate your life to that. There's some days we'd like to turn in our resignation, right? All of us do as preachers, but this is a compulsion from God. You've got to tell others you're one candle to burn. I've appeared to you, Paul, to make you a minister and a witness. And verse 13, what does he say? Woe, excuse me, uh, verse 16, woe is me if I don't preach this. I preach not the gospel. So I put on the clothing of a servant in order to be more effective. Uh, and first, the first point, really, Paul, you're an apostle, right? Isn't that above you? Paul said, no. God called me as one out of due time. He gave me a commission, a vested authority. I was an eyewitness. And then in tent making, some cried out, Paul, that's beneath you. You deserve to be paid. And Paul said, no, I set that right aside in order to glory in the gospel and not gain because of it. And finally, Paul expands his ministry that he might reach more, gain the more, verse 19, by being a servant. And some said, but Paul, there are so many that are beyond your reach. Don't you love the response of Paul? No, I make myself the servant of all, that I may gain the more. There were two people that came to Christ during those six years in drywall land, I call it. And as I left that field for a more dust-free office again, full-time ministry, I look back over my shoulder, and you know what I say? I say, thank you, God, that you extended, expanded my reach from this setting to the setting of those that perhaps would never hear the gospel unless I put on the robes, the, the white, the painter whites, I call them, the hard hat and went into their world. I serve others that I might gain the more. I don't know how many drywall finishers will be in heaven, but praise God, there may be two more. I wonder, I wonder this question as we close. I wonder if our church would be expanded, grow, explode, if we met each other every day every Sunday with this question, an honest question, how can I serve you? How can I serve you for Christ's sake? How low can I stoop for Christ's sake? Can I wash a window, loan you a car, stop and listen, pray with you, babysit, cook a meal, visit a shut-in, hold your hand and just pray? Because I want to win the more. Folks, we cannot just treat our guests and visitors when they come through the door with a handshake. Great to have you here. Hope you can be back next week. We must follow them wearing the garb of a servant saying, how can I this week be a blessing to you? Jesus in his introductory challenge He started his ministry. I'm come to heal the brokenhearted, to be and live among you as a servant. I wonder, is the name of this little poem by Ruth Calkin. You know, Lord, she says, 
how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at women's ministries. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed me to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody cared. For though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself a servant unto all, that I may gain the more. How sad it will be in heaven if all we do is arrive there with our credentials in hand and no soul to show for it. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.